Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Triple Threat Podcast is here and live in a living color. I'm your old DJ Shockley along with my other main man, Scotty D. We want to get here to the Triple Threat Podcast on a special week where it is Super Bowl week and a lot is going on. And we will have a new Super Bowl champion on Sunday evening between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But before we jump into the Super Bowl, Scott Davis, how are you, Sa? What's up, man? I'm mourning. I'm mourning. Uh oh, you're mourning. Why are you mourning? Yeah, Cause what's going on, man? I, yeah? I get I get a little a little upset the week before the last football game for <laughs> eight months or whatever it is. I hear it all in your voice, bro. You sound like you're uh, a little distraught right there, man. You, all you right, we gonna get here, huh? I got it out of my system. I'm 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 ready. I'm upbeat. I'm ready to go. Yeah, let's go. Hey, man, it's gonna be a fabulous week, man. A lot going on. We got a fabulous mm-hmm. guest. We got a great guest in my former teammate, good friend of mine, Matt Schaub, is going to join the show. Of course, we're going to ask him about who he thinks is going to win the Super Bowl. Uh, Schaub, played 17 years in the NFL, just retired, and he has a really good insight into the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as the Falcons saw both of those teams this year and actually played them pretty tight. So going to ask him about that his whole entire career. I'm going to ask him about everything because Schaub went through some stuff with Houston, We'll do some stuff uh, when he came back, when he got to Atlanta. So, uh, Shabby's got a lot to talk about, and I look forward to talking to him and kind of picking his brain. Uh, but with, like I said, it's Super Bowl week. Scotty D, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, but before we get into Super Bowl stuff, uh, the biggest news of the week is the Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff trade that went down earlier this week. And Goff, who was the previous number one pick in the 2016 draft, gets traded away uh, to the Detroit Lions. And Detroit Lions have picked up some draft picks. They have uh, picked up uh, a few good things in this trade. So time will tell if the draft picks plus Jared Goff pays off for Detroit. What did you think of the trade between Stafford and Goff and now Stafford going to L.A.? Well, uh, as far as I'm concerned, put the Rams in the Super Bowl next year. Oh, yeah? You You heard it right here. Chalk it up. 53 weeks ahead of time. Already. The Rams in the Super Bowl. You know, I said last week that I, was, I said, I, I still kind of like Jared Goff, but the, I actually thought about it after I made that comment. And I think that their defense and early on Todd Gurley, they have some terrific receivers, Cooper Cup, uh, Woods, um, and I'm forgetting one, but they've got great, great pieces. And I think that I've changed my tune and I think – that the reason for their mediocrity has for the most part been Jared Goff. Now he's got, he shows flashes. He shows flashes, but man, I, and, and I, this is hard for me to say because he's a bulldog, but I think this is a huge upgrade for them. I love Matt Stafford, man. I think he's, he's such a, he, he's such a, a, a great arm talent. Mm-hmm. And this is interesting because I think Stafford uh, for the longest needs a good defense and his mm-hmm. time in Detroit, he had one year where he had a top 10 defense mm-hmm. and guess what they did? They went 11 and five. They mm-hmm. won ball game. So I think Stafford is a run game away or a defensive way from him being in the playoffs. And obviously everybody thinks he's an elite quarterback, 
but he just hasn't had the pieces around him for a mm-hmm. long time. So, um, and Detroit, I heard Jared Goff talk about this. He said, listen, I'm glad to be going to a place where they actually want me and where I will be appreciated. And the new GM for the Detroit Lions is Brad Holmes, who coincidentally was the Rams director of college of scout who actually helped draft Jared Goff. So they know who he is mm-hmm. and they're hoping that this new fresh start is a big part of him. And I went back and I looked at some of the numbers and Sean McVay, the head coach of the Rams arrived in 17. And after that golf has led the Rams to consecutive division titles and NFC championship and a Super Bowl appearance. Now, before the 19th season, Jared Goff signed a four-year, $134 million contract, and 110 of it was guaranteed. Now, a lot of people think they regressed, but over this time, they won 42 games uh, as Jared Goff as their quarterback. So my question to you, Scotty, is has it really been just all Sean McVay? Has he been the reason why Jared Goff has excelled, or Jared Goff really is a really good quarterback? All right, I'm going to change tracks here a little bit and go back on what I just said. Okay. I'm going to edit everything I just said, by the way. <laughs> All right. <laughs> because well, you come with facts. I just come with, with emotion. <laughs> it's good. You actually, have, uh, you actually have science on your side. and I'm, uh, oh. You can't yeah. edit that out. You can't edit it out. You got to leave that in. Keep no. going. Just keep going. Keep I, going. I, Stay I, with I, it. If, you, if I change your mind, that means <laughs> I'm good at it. I, you know, I, I, your original question was actually Jared Goff in Detroit, and I went straight to the Rams in Stafford. I, I don't know what what Detroit has, and that 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 uh, that head coach come, is coming off like a kook. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But I think from a, a talent standpoint, um, Jared Goff is 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 a solid solid quarterback, solid skill yeah. skill set. Yeah. But I mean, he had he's he's had a ton of talent around him you know, the last several years, I remember it was a few years ago, right when they were starting to hit their stride, we went out there and the, we, the Falcons went out there and beat them in LA um, in the regular season. And um, was that the year we went to the Super Bowl? I don't know. But anyway, I, I don't know, man, you're the, you're the QB expert. I mean, it's, it's, if, if, if you're looking at those kind of numbers that they don't lie, but they've had a top-notch defense ever since. And that's the thing, having a, having a good defense matters. Mm-hmm. And you can take a lot of pressure off a quarterback. You have a, a, a big-time uh, defense. Now, one thing that I did find out now, in 2019, golf had 38 turnovers, which was second in the league. So the regression was there some. They won ball games, yes, defense, big part of that. But Jerry Goff, I still believe, is a really good quarterback. But the question – that is really, really, you know, on the mind is if I'm Jerry Goff, when did they really feel like I wasn't the guy? You know, because yeah. you remember Wofford started uh, in that playoff game and then on that last game to get him into the playoffs and he started getting into playoffs and Goff came off the bench. But for how many weeks back did Sean McVay walk by Jerry Goff and in his mind he was like, I really don't want him as my quarterback. Like, when did yeah. that happen? You know what I'm saying? You got to think about it. Like, it, mm-hmm. it happened so fast in the offseason. This had to be something that was brewing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you you mentioned it last week that that it was kind of before the Stafford thing had, had hit full speed, I think. But you mentioned that McVay said that there was going to be a QB competition in camp. Right. So, yeah. I, I don't, I, you know, I don't, 
you can't really read into the fact that Wofford started that game because Goff was injured. They were trying to, they really wanted to win that game without exposing uh, Goff, um, you know, to NFL defense that day, but they, right. they had to bring him in. So yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's a good question. It's, it's, it can't be, a, it's gotta be kind of an unsettling thought if you're golf, especially going into a new situation, right. um, you, you need to be confident. And that's something that, uh, you know, that, that, you know, as a quarterback, confidence means a lot. And we're going to hear about that later in the show too, yeah. but um, we'll see how, we'll see how that goes. I just don't know that, that golf is going to be set up to succeed in Detroit. Yeah. It's going to be interesting, man, because uh, if he does, then both teams come out on the right side of it and, uh, you have a good chance of moving on, and both teams get the best out of the deal. Uh, other QB news going around, obviously, Deshaun Watson wanting out of Houston. The head coach, David Cauley, said he took the job knowing Watson was going to be the Texans quarterback, and mm-hmm. they've gotten all the talks. They've, you know, people have been calling, and the Houston Texans are staying really firm to, you know, kind of who they want to be. And, you know, they want to make sure Deshaun Watson is there, but Deshaun is trying to hold his ground. Uh, I'm, I'm going to ask Matt Shaw what he thinks about this uh, later on in the show when he talks about Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans and if he thinks he's going to be a Texan uh, as a guy who played for that organization. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll see what Shabby has to say about it. Um, but there's also was one piece of this that I thought was interesting. Uh, Brett Favre had comments that came out about this situation. His comments were, you get paid a ton of money to do a certain job and just do it and let the chips fall where they may. Now, I had an issue with what Favre said. And okay. I had an issue because in the day and age that we are in now, not in the day and age when Favre played, but the day and age of what's going on in the world, mm-hmm. to be able to have your own opinion about your life and how happy and how you want to go about it, regardless of money, I believe is the true reason that I am against it. Now, there was a time where Favre held the Packers up for money for a long time. Every single year, he held the Packers up because they didn't know if he was going to come back or he wanted mm-hmm. more money. Favre went through the same stuff. But for mm-hmm. me, I feel as though in this day in society where things have gone against not just people, but African-Americans, the now African-American quarterbacks in the National Football League, mm-hmm. that I believe that him saying this, I thought was ridiculous. And the day and age where a guy should be able to have an opinion on what he feels, I think is most important. And if he has a desire to move on, then fine. But you can't take away this guy's opinion for what he feels. Now, that's Brett Favre's opinion. That's how he feels. Um, I can dislike it. I can disagree with it. But that's his opinion. When you hear what Brett Favre say, what were some of the initial things you thought of when you you heard that? Well, my my initial thought is um, who – are you to give your opinion about somebody else's feelings? Um, right. So my, my, that's, that's the, to me, it's that simple. Why, why, why am I taking Brett Favre's opinion about the matter seriously at all? Because he has nothing to do with it. And, and anybody should be able to have their own, own opinion. Now, that being said, just because somebody has an opinion doesn't mean I got to care about it. And that's, right. that's, that's to me, it's like, yeah. Social social media and the pervasive news cycle, 24-hour news cycle, has made it so that everybody is just always talking about whatever's on their mind. It's diarrhea of the mouth. And, and, and yeah. I don't care what a, a 
somebody that gets paid to be an actor thinks about the political situation in, in this country. I don't care about what a, an old quarterback who was, who, who I loved. I love Brett Favre. I don't care what he thinks about what, what's going on, or at least I certainly reserve the right to not care. He may yeah. he could say something that I said, Hey, that's, in, that's an interesting thought. Yeah. However, I feel like where you, where you kind of went with this is what I also heard Stephen A. Smith say uh, today or something similar. I, I don't think that a, I don't think anything malicious was meant by it. I just don't think that a social issue needs to be made out of this. This is an organizational problem. This is a Houston yeah. Texans failure. This is, they yeah. agreed to discuss this with him. They just, the, the coaching search, I, I don't hold the coach at fault. Um, you offer me an NFL job, I'm going to take it. I hope yeah. that this doesn't, isn't the outcome, but this is, this is between Deshaun Watson and the organization of the Houston Texans. And, yeah. and I, I'm, I'm all, I'm all behind Deshaun Watson on this. So I don't, I don't want my tone to get misconstrued, but yeah, man, it's like I said, I mean, everybody has their opinion, but I thought that particular opinion wasn't warranted, especially during this time where uh, the voices of athletes, the voices of especially NFL players as well, uh, they're trying to be heard, and this is a situation where Deshaun Watson is unhappy, and as a franchise guy, can't voice his opinion in that matter. So yeah. uh, we'll see what happens of this whole entire situation. It's going to be uh, one of those things of you know who who holds on the longest, and I mm-hmm. think Deshaun Watson is fed up enough. And uh, my man Dominic Foxworth was on Get Up uh, ESPN earlier this week, and he had a uh, particular feeling of does Deshaun Watson. Uh, stay in Houston or is it good for both sides or bad for both sides? The first (laughs) part of that, which I've been thinking about all this time, Dominique, is, well, they don't have to do anything. They can call his bluff and see if he really is willing to sit out. But you made an interesting point this morning about how that isn't a good option either. He's not a running back. We just came off a segment where we talked about the Patriot way is Tom Brady. And Tom Brady was in the building embodying that. And that helps define a culture on a team. So what you're saying is, all right, we don't trade him. We'll make him come in. So that means best case scenario. This is the best case. He shows up unhappy and disgruntled and talking trash about the organization to the other players on the team. Even if he doesn't do that, just him being there and being in a bad mood is deleterious to the culture of your team. You can't win that way. And I understand how stupid it is to to trade a 25-year-old superstar quarterback, but the mistake isn't trading him. The mistake was doing all the things that led you to a point where you have to trade him. So please stop holding on, holding on some hope that you think that some coaching hire or some change or some decision, some conversation is going to convince him to come back and be and be your happy leader. You messed that opportunity up. And right now you need to move on from him as soon as you can, because you can probably get more reward, especially if you do it before the draft. Right. And look, that's the bottom line of it here. And it- you made it that point in our meeting this morning. It's a lose-lose. They, they lose either direction they go in that. I totally agree with my boy Fox on this, man. It's one of those things where if you have a disgruntled franchise player and this guy comes, definitely comes back to work, but he's not going to be happy. And those locker room conversations, they matter the most. Now, you think about all those guys in that locker room who are not Deshaun Watson, who are not making $100 million, who are not the franchise guys, and he comes in and says, listen, they don't listen to what I say. They're not giving me the value that I deserve in this organization. What do you think they're going to do to you when your time comes up or when you need or want something? 
Do you think they have your back? And that's going to lead to a lot of disgruntled players. And now you have the mistrust with the organization. So I absolutely can understand the lose-lose that Fox talked about there with, hey, if he does come back, it's not going to be good. If you lose him, guess what? You got to start all over. Well, you put yourself in that position for mm-hmm. Jump Street. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, man. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with that whole situation. Obviously, I think it's going to be one of those things that kind of lasts for a little while. It's going to be uh, last man standing for the Houston Texans versus Sean Watson. And I think he absolutely deserves the opportunity to go somewhere where he will be appreciated. All right, big weekend. Talked about a Super Bowl coming up. Uh, before we get to my man, Matt Schaub here uh, to talk about Super Bowl and all the things that happened throughout his career. But big matchup between the Bucks and the Chiefs. Uh, I got a couple matchups I want people to watch in this ball game. And Scotty, do you let me know if you feel like these are worthy of being watched uh, with a with a fine tooth comb? All right. uh, the first one I got is the front seven of the Bucks versus the Chiefs offensive line. And I say this because the Chiefs, their two tackles are out. Uh, you talk about Eric Fisher's out, Mr. Schwartz is out. Uh, so now you have the likes of <laughs> some of these guys coming off the edge, like Sue and Devin White, Shaq Barrett, all these guys coming off the edge going to be a huge factor trying to get after uh, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, you think that matchup will have a big dividend in the ballgame, or is there another uh, set of group of guys you think matters? I think it's the biggest matchup in the game. Absolutely. Now, I know yeah. one of the tackles is injured. The other one is a – I think he can still test positive and get in the game, can he? Well, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, test, I'm sorry, test negative. Yeah, they're center. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, never mind. Their center is part of it. And I, I think the last couple of days everybody has tested negative and everybody's good, should be leading up to that ball game. Like, uh, these guys are doing everything. I heard Tom Brady sent his whole family away uh, for the entire week so that he doesn't worry about – you know, not being ready for the biggest game of the season, which is the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Brady's changing the culture with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, I read uh, the other day where a couple of guys were crying last week when they won the NFC Championship, and Brady basically comes up saying, what the F are you crying for? We got more to do. <laughs> and that's when, you know, some of his teammates say they put him in perspective. This guy's done it. He's been there. This is nothing to be happy about. So uh, that's one of the matches, the front seven of the Bucks versus the Chiefs. All right, Scotty. I think the the second biggest maybe matchup in this ball game is the Chiefs secondary versus skill players of the Bucks. And the skill obviously is Evans and Godwin and Brown, mm-hmm. Gronk, Fournette. Uh, the Chiefs secondary with the Honey Badger and Breland and Jerry Schneed, who will be in the nickel. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a big part of it. Thornhill, their safety. Uh, but you talk about the Chiefs secondary versus the Bucks offense, which has been rolling uh, in the, in the playoffs. Uh, what do you think about that matchup? You think it's as big as the first matchup, or you think it's definitely one that's going to be something to look at? Uh, I think it's important. Um, you know, I, I keep looking at this game and just thinking about how can I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I like to wager a little bit, so I keep, tr- I cannot decide where I want to go with this game. <laughs> and part of the problem is Tom Brady with those ridiculous receivers he has. Um, yeah. I think if if the Chiefs if I had to pick the biggest weakness on the chiefs, which is overall a very good team, it would be the secondary um, even with, you know, the, the honey badger roaming around back there. So, yeah, I think it's a, that's a big matchup as well. I still go with that, that front, that uh, Kansas city O-line versus the front seven of the bucks. That's the biggest thing though. But yeah, it, it's, it's, it's big. If Tom Brady is going to have a big game, then um, that's, that's where it's going to show, I think. 
You know what I, I always love to look at, Scotty D, is uh, when we talk about the Super Bowl, obviously uh, the crazy prop best that's going to go out. Mm. Uh, I know you say you like to little wager on, on certain stuff. Uh, okay. Listen to some of these uh, prop bets. Uh, w- would you uh, make a bet on? Will okay. there be a missed field goal? I say yeah. You know what? I say there's as much a chance of yeah. missed point after uh, a missed PAT than a missed yeah. field goal. But yeah, I, I, I would I would bet that. Well, would you bet on the length of the national anthem? No. <laughs> What about which team scores last? That's last, a good one. Yeah, yeah, that is last. a good one because that that probably that that means a lot. That's a big that's a big one. Yeah, I'd probably bet uh, if I have to pick a team that that's going to be make a clutch drive at the end of the game, I, I got to go with Brady. So I think the weekend is performing. One of the prop bets is will the weekend wear sunglasses? <laughs> oh, I bet on that all day long. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. No. Yes. That's about as simple as. Uh, who wins the coin toss? You know? I bet I bet those are bad odds. I bet you got to bet 20 to win 10 on that one. Ah, yeah, 50-50 chance. So, oh, man, big Super Bowl weekend coming up, man. A lot to look at. Both uh, two big-time quarterbacks, probably the best matchup mm-hmm. of quarterbacks you would like to see in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, maybe on the other side, maybe Aaron Rodgers. But having Tom Brady in his 10th Super Bowl, uh, going for his seventh Super Bowl win, Um Patrick Mahomes, can he overtake Tom Brady and become the new GOAT that everybody's talking about? Will Clyde Edwards Lair be a big difference maker in his ball game in the run game? Mm-hmm. Uh, all the RPOs. Uh, here's a question. Okay. Over under, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, 150 yards. Combined? Over. Combined. Oh, hell yeah. Taking over. Yeah. So you think they both will go for at least 100? Yeah, close. Yeah, close to it. Okay. I mean, that's okay. a, you know that's 180, uh, 180. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I I could see that Tyreek going for 100 and Kelsey going for 80. Sure. And I like that one. Is that a, is that a prop bet? Nah. Okay. <laughs> nah. He like what that say? Let, Let me get, go get, get, get some action. Yeah, get some action on that uh, one. Uh, going back to that week 12, Tyreek Hill 200 yards in that first half. So uh, he had a good day. I, I think the Bucks will make sure they know exactly where Tyreek Hill is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of interesting matchups. Look at his ball game. A lot of things to, to keep your eyes locked in. Uh, what's the Super Bowl uh, look like for you over there in the, the Davidson household come Sunday? We're actually still pounding out some ideas. I told, I told you off air that I just got me a new, a new smoker. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I think I'm going to try to make a brisket. Okay. To uh, to bring wherever we go, yes. Yeah, okay. We used to plan Super Bowl parties way out. Now 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 that we're all getting older with kids and stuff, they just kind of yeah. materialize. Like you hear yeah. about it on on Friday. <laughs> so I don't know exactly what we're doing, but I will be tuned in for sure. All right, man. Before we get my man Matt Schaub on here, let's give our own predictions. Okay. I will. I'm gonna let you go first. Let me hear a prediction. Let me hear a number. Let me hear a score. Let me hear who wins. All right. I'm going to go, and I don't like this, but I just can't. Uh, I just you can't. can't start it like that. You got to be confident, Scott. No, I, can't. I don't like making this bet, but I, I, I feel like it's the right bet. I'm, I'm trying to bet with my head, not my heart, because I don't want. What is the bet? I'm going to say that Tampa Bay is going to win this thing. Ooh. 32 to 27. Tampa Bay and Tampa Brady is going to get a win over. Head and shoulders, Patrick Mahomes. No nah, way. I'm going on the other side. I'm riding with the Chiefs. 
first off, it's hard for me to go with Tom Brady and the Bucks. I know, uh, me too. Tom Brady, what he done done to my Falcons a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my son, as you know, loves Tyreek Hill, loves the Kansas City mm-hmm. Chiefs, literally watches the game with his jersey on. Um, so I'm going to go Chiefs, and I'm going to go Chiefs 38, and I'm going to go Bucks 28. I think okay. they win by 10. I think uh, it's close early, and it's not as suspenseful late. And oh. it's never going to be in jeopardy late, which is not fun for a Super Bowl, but I think time's going to run out on top of Brady and freaking the Chiefs are going to win back-to-back world titles. Well, let's just hope that my pick jinxes the Bucks, because that's what I, I'm hoping low-key what happens is that I jinx them by picking them. Because I don't want I don't want to pull for Brady either or the Bucks. No doubt, no doubt. All right, man. Coming up next, my man Matt Schaub, man. I can't wait to talk to my dude. Been a while since I got a chance to holler at him. We're gonna talk about all kind of stuff. So, hey, grab some popcorn, grab some drink, because we about to get into it. My man Matt Schaub, 17-year NFL vet. Coming up next on the Triple Threat Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Triple Threat Podcast. And like I told you, I told you three, four times before we came on, we got my man coming on here. He's finally joining the Triple Threat Podcast. 17-year NFL vet. My friend, my former teammate, my man, Matt Schaub. Schaub, what's up, man? Oh, DJ, I'm good, man. Just enjoying some downtime, time with the family, and uh, appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man, I appreciate you coming on. Obviously, uh, you're a guy that's done a lot. Uh, that's seen a lot, but most importantly, obviously, we got the Super Bowl coming up this week, so we'd love to get your, your kind of mindset on both these teams. You saw them up close and personal. Uh, you guys played them tight, so we'll talk about that later on. But uh, first off, man, uh, I want to tell you that I've always looked up to you ever since day one when I came into the Falcons organization and watched how you prepared, watched how you worked, and it's no secret why you've gone 17 years to me uh, and it's well-deserved. So, man, I, I appreciate you taking yeah. the time to, to holiday people today. I'm sure a bunch of people get a lot of gems from it, man. But uh, yeah. I want to I want to I want to go back to uh, the early years of his child days in PA. Well, you know, he he got down at uh, what's this? We say Westchester East High School. Uh, yes. Was it was a three year three year letterman? Was it? I mean, you did three sports in in, in Westchester. To, what what was your main sport? Hey, I, I, I sometimes like I played football in high school, but I really love baseball. What was something like that with you? Was it always ball? You know what? Honestly, it was. You know, I did. I played three sports all growing up, all through high school. Uh, three year starter in in football, basketball, and baseball. But honestly, basketball was my first love. It was the sport, and I played all three. I, baseball and basketball. I started playing when I could walk. I started right. playing football in third grade. So, you know, I just picked that up. I loved to throw. I was a pitcher in baseball. So. Being a quarterback, kind of throwing that came natural, but basketball was my first love. I was in the driveway shooting hoops <laughs> till till my mom came out and dragged me in to go eat dinner, and then I'd go back out and shoot hoops. So that was my first love. But as I got going and I got into high school, I realized, you know what? For me to play sports beyond high school at the level I would like to, football was going to be my call, and that just developed to be my best one. Chubby, when did you get 6'6", though? I mean, like, so you, you, hear, you hear about some people having a growth spurt later in life. Tell me you were 6'6 in high school. 
I, I, I hate to tell you and disappoint <laughs> you, but so my first growth spurt was between seventh and eighth grade. All right. But then I had another one go in my ninth grade in my freshman year. I was this height going into my sophomore year of high school. I was six, oh, five, that's uh, but I was only 160, 165 <laughs> pounds playing as a sophomore <laughs> quarterback. Literally they couldn't find like football pants <laughs> tight enough for me. I could, I could turn sideways behind the goalpost and you couldn't see me. That's how, uh, that's how skinny I was. Hey, so you was a beanstalk, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool right there. I never heard that story from it. But, man, obviously, you do good enough in high school where you get recruited by a lot of different schools. Uh, ultimately, what was the end factor of you becoming a Virginia Cavalier? Yeah, you know, it was growing up in Pennsylvania. Obviously, everyone asked what happened to Penn State or – things like that. And they were really good at the time, but they handed the ball off like 75 times a game. So that wasn't really something I wanted to become a part of. Right. Um, but a lot of ACC schools, a couple big 10 schools and just a couple SEC schools were looking at me and, and then big East, but uh, I came down to Virginia, North Carolina and Purdue. And at the time mm. Drew Brees was at Purdue and I could have been behind him a couple years. Um, but after I'd visited those places unofficially and, and saw what those schools were all about, you know, so there's just, and you know, from your recruitment, like now you, as a Georgia boy, you knew probably you were always going to Georgia, but no, when you get on no. campus, when you get <laughs> on campus, there was just, when I got to Virginia, there was just a feel like that was where I was supposed to be. Like right. that was the spot, the combination of football, academics, the chance to play after a couple years of learning, man. It, and it couldn't have worked out better because North Carolina, they went through some transition years, not to mention they had Ronald Curry from the class before mm, me. Yeah. And then my parents moved down to Atlanta after I left high school. So going to Purdue, that kind of fell out, you know, fell by the wayside. Right, but right. Virginia just ended up being like the best spot for me. Man, that's a, that's a cool story. Cause you, you forget about some of the dudes that are coming out during your time and, uh, I remember the recruiting part of it always was was a little different back in our day as opposed to what's happening yeah. with all these kids these days. But uh, you ended up choosing Virginia, obviously, and going into your freshman year. Didn't play your freshman year, but 01 and 02, you split time with a guy named Bryson Spinner. And you know what? The craziest thing when I went back and I looked up some of the stuff that you did in college as well as, you know, obviously the NFL, uh, the one caveat, the one thing that I noticed throughout is you had to overcome some obstacles. You had to overcome some injuries. You had to overcome some setbacks. And I know a lot of people look at your career and say, oh, this man played 17 years. He's made a ton of money. He's really got nothing to be worried about or nothing to look back on his career. But I, I look back on it and say, you had some times where you had to fight through some stuff. And yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, to be honest with you, and I don't know how, I know you probably have a limited number amount of time here, but yeah, I mean, I had a competition and a guy in the same class with me, Bryson Spinner. We shared time my sophomore year and then uh, he trended up transferring, but then had a really good junior year, started slow, but had a really good junior year. Then going into my senior year, uh, first game of the season, first drive, go down and I, I separate my throwing shoulder mm -hmm. and miss, miss two games. And, um, you know, so that that was a lot to come back from and, you know, what was going to happen to my future and all that. But you know, I tried to stay positive. And then in the NFL, obviously, you know, yeah, I play a lot of years and had some good years in Houston. And a lot of people want to remember how it ended there and, and some of the bad throws. Well, there was a lot of good that also happened. But you have, you know, this game teaches you so much about uh, handling adversity 
Mm-hmm. And the adversity can be negative. It can also be positive. There's a lot right. of good things happening to you. How do you handle that? How do you handle yeah. the ebbs and flows and stuff like that? Yeah, I, I think you make some good points. I think there are a lot of kids now who are in the, the field of wanting to be in the space that you've been in, been in the, the shoes that you've been in and be able to overcome some of that stuff. And I, uh, I was reading back in 02 where uh, obviously Spinner gone and you're the starter in that first game. Uh, you get replaced by by, by Higgins. Uh, I know mm-hmm. Higgins pretty well, and uh, it, it was tough. He got named a starter the next week versus FSU, and then you end up playing, you know, after that. But what was that like to yeah. finally say, okay, here, it's finally my job. I battled out with a guy last year. Now I finally get a chance in the first game, and then somebody else takes the spot. He starts the next week. What's that mental mindset like for you having yeah. to overcome that? Because it's not – we're not talking about like the, the Matt Schaub of, you know, five, six years in the NFL. This is still a young Matt Schaub. How did you mentally kind of get over that point? Absolutely. So going into that junior year, we, we had a Colorado State team, a good Colorado State team coming in for the first game of the season. And, um, you know, a lot of build up to that game. It was a night game. You know, how are we, you know, a lot of ex- anticipation, expectations. And, you know, I threw two interceptions, you know, a couple of throws got away from me. They put Marcus Hagens in, a good friend of mine. Um, he plays well at the end of the game. We still, we end up losing. Then he gets to start at Florida State. We had a really, really rough first half. I go in, um, I end up throwing for three touchdowns and 250 yards in the second half. Balling, Shabby. And, uh, <laughs> And, and we, we lost the game, but, you know, from that point on, I remember that week going into that Florida State game, Al Groh, our head coach, we're getting ready to go down to the field to stretch. And he just tells me, you know, after knowing that he's going to start Hagens, he goes, so how are you going to respond? And I just looked at him and I told him this, and he'll, he, this is a story he still tells. I said, coach, I totally understand. I brought it on myself, but if you put me back in the game, you'll never take me back out. Wow. And, you know, it came to fruition that Saturday and it was just about trying to remain positive. Cause not only did I need to do that for myself, but I had to, as quarterbacks, we always have to let the guys around us know that we're our confidence isn't shaken, that we're not right. rattled. Um, Cause if they can sense that in the huddle from us, man, it's hard to get them to play up to their best and their potential, mm. you know? So we're the leaders of that whole group and we can't show that we're uh, deterred in any way. Bro, that's powerful. I, I think so many people can get a lot out of, not just for sports wise, but in everyday life, talking about how to overcome something and how to uh, come back from a situation that you thought maybe wasn't as good. And I, I love the way you responded when your coach asked you, hey, how are you going to respond? And you said, hey, if I get back in there, I'm not going to come out. I love I love that piece right there. And, and to come full circle, you end up having a, a really good year that year, end up over 2,900 yards, 28 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Uh, ACC player of the year, offensive player of the year, and you're going into that last year in 03, and you're getting some Heisman talk uh, behind Matt Schaub. A lot of people are considering you to be in that 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 light, and obviously you talked about it. You hurt your shoulder, uh, and the numbers weren't as, as best as you, you wanted them to be, but uh, what was the thought process going into that, that last year of now I got all this hype, the team believes in me, and even the program expects a lot out of me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, after I think in our my junior year, we went nine and five, won our bowl game. We had a really good football team. We had a lot of good players, especially on the offensive line, defensive line, good running backs. We had Heath Miller, tight end, mm-hmm. um, some really good linebackers. We had a good team. And going into that 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 senior year in 2003, um, we were looking at ACC championship. It's going to be come down to us in Florida State, and we we're going to you know see what happens. And 
Um, you know, I get hurt that first week against Duke. We still won the game, but then we have, I think we went to South Carolina and Western Michigan, uh, lost to South Carolina, but beat Western Michigan while I was still out and then came back and, you know, Phillip Rivers was at NC state. We had a battle that year, uh, down in Raleigh and they ended up winning in the last couple of minutes, but man, the expectations were through the roof and we ultimately fell short of that. We got, I think, second or third place in the ACC, uh, still won our bowl game, uh, got eight or nine wins. Um, but it was disappointing that we didn't end up reaching our goal, but um, it was still, it was still a fun year to be able to come back from that injury and still be able to throw and still be able to, cause when it was, I was going through it, that throwing shoulder, man, that was hard. Cause there, I missed two games, but for like, eight days I couldn't even lift my arm over my head I didn't know wow. what was going to happen with that wow I mean uh, unbelievable uh thing that, that that you were able to accomplish especially with all the things you're going through obviously you talk about being injured in those first couple of years and having to overcome that uh now you get an opportunity now I'm being looked at in the National Football League uh I think a lot of people know you got drafted by by, by the Falcons for sure um round three pick number 90 you were the fifth quarterback out of 17 and to kind of give people a, a kind of a glimpse of what that draft class was like. You had guys like Eli and Phillip Rivers and Roethlisberger all in that class. Talk about that draft process. We, we've had guys like Ronnie Brown on here who was, you know, top five pick and what that experience is like going through that process. First off, did you have any idea you was going to Atlanta and where did you think you were going to end up? Yeah. So like you mentioned earlier, nowadays that process is so different than it used yeah. to be back, you know, 17, 18 years ago. I mean, you know, you had to combine, which I went to, you had your pro day, but really there was nothing else. You just kind of worked out wherever you're working out. And, you know, there wasn't social media. You didn't have right. any of that. You didn't have any of these coaches are posting videos of you throwing <laughs> or anything like that. It was all behind the scenes. And you had those two opportunities to show what you can do. Not to mention, obviously your game film from college, but I had honestly, um, at the combine, you know, you have those 15 minute interviews at night, all this. I had one talk with someone from the Falcons. It was Greg Knapp, who was the coordinator at the time. And it was during one of those sessions where I didn't have a meeting huh. and we just sat on one of the park benches there in the hotel lobby and talked for like five, 10 minutes. Wow. But outside of that, I've interviewed with all these other teams and, um, you know, then had my pro day. And back then the, the draft was three days. You had uh, Friday was round one. I'm sorry. It was two days. I'm sorry. Saturday was round one, two and three. And then Sunday was the last four. And, uh, you know, I remember having all my family and friends in town and, and remember, you know, it was probably 1030 at night when the end of round three was coming around and get a phone call from a a 770 number or 404 number and I was like <laughs> who is this I had no clue wow. and and sure enough it was it was Rich McKay who was the GM at the time uh with the Falcons and I had no idea and Dang. obviously I'm super stoked and excited but at the same time I was like wait a minute Michael Vick is Virginia <laughs> Virginia Tech but then but then I'm like we couldn't be two more different Right. type of quarterbacks but I was like <laughs> I, I I need to start running I need to start doing something to try to be a little faster <laughs> that is that is hilarious I, I that is you think about sometimes teams drafting guys because hey they're similar to a player that we have so the starter goes down the backup looks kind of similar like uh when the Ravens had Lamar and they got RG3 like kind of similar guys so what was it like first off you know when you first got to the Falcons organization, 
and the guy in front of you is freaking the the face of the National Football League. What was the interaction like with uh, you and Mike during that time? You know, it was awesome. Mike was a great teammate. I mean, as you know, you came in. I mean, it was the three of us in the room there for a while. So, Mike, he was great. He was a good teammate. Um, for me, I was eyes wide open and ears ears wide open and my mouth shut. I was yeah. just trying to listen <laughs> and learn. I mean, like you said, not only was he the face of the NFL, but at that time, I mean, Michael Vick was, you know, one of the two most recognizable athletes in all the world, him and Tiger Woods, you know, at that time. I mean, no one got bigger across the planet than those two guys. And so um, just to be able to watch him on the week to week basis, day to day basis, and, and just gather all this knowledge for me of, you know, how I would handle things or how I want to, you know, prepare each week and for when I did get an opportunity. At the same time, I did get a bunch of opportunities, both in the preseason and in the regular season, because play a lot in the preseason. Mm -hmm. So it gave me a lot of opportunities to show what I could do. There was times throughout you know, the season where he would get nicked up or he'd take a shot on the sideline or something like that, and I would get some opportunities to play. So um, it gave me a lot of opportunity to learn and just grow as a young player. Yeah, I, I was looking at some of the numbers, 04 and 05, you play about games, started another game in 04, same thing uh, in 05. Obviously in uh, 2006, you you guys draft one of the best looking guys you guys you've ever seen in myself. So, uh, nah, but, uh, I remember, well, I, I mean, that, that in itself, I mean, when, when we ended <laughs> honestly, like, I, I, here's Mike and me. And then, I mean, you at the time, I mean, you were bigger than both. I mean, you were more <laughs> popular in the, in Atlanta <laughs> and Georgia than, than Mike or any of us. You were bigger than the Falcons, <laughs> man, the way what you were doing there. Yeah, in so when they picked you, I mean, I just remember when we had training camp and we'd have, you know, quarterbacks when all the fans were there, you know, certain days and, you know, Jim Moore would send certain position groups to the Hill to sign. Yeah. And it's like quarterbacks. It was like, there'd be like a couple people over here where I was walking to a lot over here where Mike was going to, but then wherever DJ was going, everybody was oh, wearing their, their UGA jerseys <laughs> and going to you. Sound you crazy, man. You know what? It's, I, I think we had some of the uh, funnest times in the room together that, 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 that 06 year. And some of the things that blew me away, I don't think I ever told you this, but I, uh, we used to have these Saturday night meetings and I remember nap was used to have all these, uh, these things called stumpers. And for people who don't know, the offensive coordinator would give us a formation or give us a play, and we had to know the personnel, had to know, you know, what plays went with that formation or whatever. And I remember you and Nap going back and forth. I mean, yeah. it was just like the craziest thing to, to say that you were one of the smartest guys I've ever been around. And that's when I knew, like, yeah, you can be athletic, you can be talented, but if you ain't got it upstairs, you're going to be behind. So, uh, I just remember watching you guys every single week. Like, man, these dudes know their stuff. It's the difference between – there's a huge difference between myself and you guys already because of you knowing so much. But uh, I know he still, he, still, he, he, he still does them. No you know, way. He's been, really? He was with us the last couple of years, and yeah. he still does them on Saturday night. And he was with me in Houston in 2011 and 12 – or no, 10 and 11. Yeah. And he still did them. And so oh, it's still wow. something that we bantered back and forth and everything man. like that. I used to be so <laughs> nervous. I ain't gonna lie. I used to be so nervous going to them Saturday meetings. Like, oh man, I hope you don't ask me this because I don't think I really remember that one. But, uh, <laughs> and then, and then, cause the, the, when I first got there, I wasn't used to it. And I wasn't used to that West coast and freaking yeah. plays were 17, 18 words. And I was like, man, this is crazy. I'm supposed to remember all this stuff, but, 
you was always a good teammate, always a guy that helped me out for sure. So uh, definitely good times. All right, let's move on to Houston now. Uh, obviously, this was your big first stint of being the guy. Uh, the Texans uh, got you for a second got for a second round picks in 07 and 08, and they swapped first round picks in 07. So it's a big deal. A lot of draft picks, a lot of things being you know transpired back and forth. What was it like when you found out, hey, I'm going to go to Houston, brand new uh, organization, and they want me as their guy? Yeah, it was super exciting. Um, a lot of effort and you know, work went into my first three years. So to finally get an opportunity, uh, have a team come and, and like you said, uh, give up what they did in order to acquire me, um, you know, I was uh, elated. And to go work with a guy like Gary Kubiak and, and the staff that they had there and Andre Johnston and um, all the players that I interacted with when I first got there, man, I was so excited to jump right in there and help turn a, a young franchise around. You know, was, they struggled for, you know, five, six years before I got there. And to be able to just be a part of that and um, get them to be a winning uh, organization um, was definitely something that I, I'm very proud of. And uh, but to have that opportunity for them to come calling, man, it was great. Yeah, you talk about those first three years, first couple of years, you guys went eight and eight. You started your, you know, two and oh, uh, your first two ball games. And then in an 08 year, you guys started 0 and four and still mm -hmm. ended up going eight and eight. Um, and again, in that 08 season, we're talking about overcoming some things. You had to overcome a knee injury. What was that like? Uh, obviously, you had the injury in college. Now you get it in an instance where, hey, I'm the guy now, but I still have to go through this. What was that like? Yeah, it was tough. Um, like you said, we started slow. You know, you never want to have that. You don't want to have a quarter of your season where you didn't even win a game, and especially the first quarter. Uh, but we battled back, and then, you know, somewhere there in late October, early November, I missed three, four games with a knee injury, and that was hard. But, uh, you know, something that, I, again, take a lot of pride in is just trying to get back for my teammates. And uh, no matter how our season was going to finish, we still didn't know, but uh, we came back and was able to play the last four games, and we went to Green Bay, and uh, my first game back and we in a, in a really cold game and, and kicked a field goal in the last second and, and won that one. And we ended up winning, I think, three of our last four and finishing eight and eight. And, um, you know, so that was that was really, really cool for me as a young starter to be able yeah. to fight back from an injury and not just say, you know what, I'll wait till next year. Right. And it's unbelievable to think about some of the things that you had to overcome to still be in the spot you're in today. And I think it just speaks volumes and I'll keep, you know, harping on it. Everything wasn't easy. Uh, everything wasn't given to you. You had to earn a lot of things that you, you got throughout your time. And uh, would you say 2009 was the year that you kind of put yourself all the way on the map? I mean, you, you led the league in yards, uh, completions. I mean, you guys were 97, uh, you know, you got your first pro bowl. I mean, what was that 2009 season like for you? Was it one that was gratifying or was it like I knew I could, you know, put together this kind of football? I knew I could do that, um, but it was my first year playing all 16 games. And, you know, we had a good offense. We we had always had a good offense, you know, our play right. action game and getting the ball down the field. Kyle Shanahan was there in two, 2007, 8, 9, and him and Gary Kubiak putting together our, our game plans. Um, we were starting to run the ball better in 2009, but – our passing game, you know, we had a lot of good screen game and a good play action game and um, found ourselves in a lot of football games. I think um, I think that was the year definitely where people recognized what we were doing. Uh, but ultimately, we finished nine and seven and we finished uh, having 
to wait and see what happened that last week, that night game, Cincinnati <laughs> and the New York Jets were playing. And we needed Cincinnati to beat the Jets. Yeah, Cincinnati beat the Jets to get in. Well, Cincinnati rested all their guys. The Jets beat them. Oh. And so we, did, we didn't get in the playoffs as a wild card. So we ultimately fell short of our goal of getting in the playoffs. But, man, that was a big step for our organization to get to that point. Yeah, you're talking about a big step. And I think it led to what happened, you know, in 2011, where you guys made it to the playoffs, won a playoff game. Uh, you know, you, you started the first 10 games. And then a Liz Frank injury on a on a QB sneak shot. Is, is, is that kind of like Patrick Mahomes? That's where, you, you know, you, you hurt your knee on a QB sneak yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is ridiculous, man. And, and I still, I still get, I, you know, it's it's water under the bridge now, but I still give Coach Kubiak a lot of grief for that. You know, we, we were down in Tampa and we were rolling as a team. We were seven and three and down in Tampa. And it was right before the half. They pinned us on our own half yard line or like one foot line with like 40 seconds left. Yeah. And they had two timeouts. And Man, and I don't mind quarterback sneaks. The short yards, I mean, shoot, I'll get it for you. But you call it a quarterback sneak on the first down play. Or no, second down play. We ran an inside zone, got stuffed. And he's like, I don't want to get a safety. And we're up 17 to nothing right here. Oh. And I we run quarterback sneak on the second down. Get a yard, get a yard and a half, whatever. Well, I'm on the ground and my toes are in the ground. And someone falls on my heels. So it just snaps my midfoot. Oh. And, uh, and uh so I get up and on third down, I'm like, I just point over to him, like run the ball. I point to the ground, do not throw the ball. Cause I right. can't even like feel my right foot. Uh, but we ended up punting. They ended up not getting any points anyway. Uh, I only had to throw three passes the second half. I ended up, I played through it, but you we didn't have to do much. On that no way. I still played, you know, they just taped it <laughs> up even tighter, but man, it, it was pretty painful. Plus the pills are pretty good that they can give you at halftime <laughs> to help that stuff. But, oh, no but, doubt. Uh, <laughs> you know, and then after that, once they cut the tape off after the game, man, like you, the foot wasn't even recognizable. So that put me out for the rest of the year. And that was, that was probably the most challenging thing I had been through. Cause that was the year we had probably the best team I had been on was that season, our defense, our run game with Arian Foster. Yeah. Um, and we, we could have done some real damage that year. Yeah, I mean, golly, that's unbelievable. I mean, I've heard of crazy injuries happening in crazy spots, but the fact you finished, I didn't even realize you finished that game, which is unbelievable uh, by you. The other thing is just shabby tough, man. It's it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's uh, more stupid than tough, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, 2012, you're in the last year, your contract, and week one, you guys, go, you go out and you ball out, you get that, that new four-year deal, uh, four-year 62 mil, uh, and then week three, you get an illegal hit. Is that right? And they thought you tore your earlobe. So, <laughs> yeah. So, Shabby, I've been uh, doing my homework, bro. I do my homework. On I know. So <laughs> we're, 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 we're in Denver and we're, we're, you know, we're beating Denver pretty good. And uh, we ran a bootleg and, uh, you know, we had a double move by Andre Johnson on the outside. And uh, one of the linebackers and one of the defensive linemen, He's put his helmet right up under my like kind of chin strap right here in my side of my face. And yeah. you know, the speaker, this the speakers sit right behind your ears in the in the helmets. For those of you that don't know, the little speakers, the coach can talk to us. And they're they're lined in plastic. And when my helmet flew off my head, it just sliced my ear. It, oh. it didn't I didn't lose any people always think I lost part of my ear <laughs> or I had to have surgery to replace my ear. You want to like, feel on your own self. It, man. No, right. <laughs> it was just a it was just a pretty nasty laceration. That's all it was. And uh, you know, a little bit of 
you know, dirt and rub it in and it clotted up and we were fine. Oh man, that's crazy. When I saw that, I said, Oh, I gotta ask him about the possible just laceration aid and they call it. Oh <laughs> uh, man, but uh crazy you know, crazy part about that is the dude that hit me, Joe Mays, he was on the he was on our team. He came to Houston the next season and was our no. team and did he remember couldn't be Yes, he couldn't be a nicer guy, man. Like he waited at after the game in the tunnel to make sure I was all right. And then like, but with the day he signed, I went over to you know, and, you know, see him with Dwayne Brown, who was our left tackle, big old yeah. dude. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're on our side now, Johan. He you should have seen his head when he looked up from the table, he was just like, Oh man. He, he felt uh, bad still, but uh good classic. guy, good guy. That's classic. Oh man, the good days in the locker rooms, man. Hey, uh <laughs> Week 11, you're playing Jacksonville, and you throw for 527 yards and five touchdowns. And I saw this. And at the time, you had tied Hall of Famer Warren Moon for the most yards in a game. I mean, I ain't never thrown for 500 yards. What's it like to throw for 500 <laughs> yards in the NFL, Shabby? I mean, you just you just feeling it? I mean, what, what's the deal? I mean, it, it's, it was what we had to do that day to win. You know, it was, <laughs> we went into overtime. Well, that was the other thing is we went into overtime and almost a full overtime at that point. So there was a, almost a whole extra quarter, right. but things were, things were just going right. Andre Johnson, I think had 270 some yards that day. And um, Kevin Walter had a big day. Owen Daniels had a big day. Uh, you know, things were just clicking. You know, you have some of those days where passes are just everything we're calling and dialing up is working. And, right. but it's so, it so happened that their offense was clicking too. And so it was a shootout. Chad Henney had to come in to replace Blaine Gabbert. And, uh, he ended up throwing for, I think, close to 400 yards in three quarters. So uh, it was what we had to do. The, the crazy part about that game or that week, I should say, is we went into overtime and we won it with a walk-off screen to Andre uh, with two minutes left in overtime. So we almost played five full quarters. Then we right. turned around. I had to play Thanksgiving Day that Thursday in Detroit at eleven uh, as a noon kick. Yeah. So we had the shortest amount of break, and then we're in Detroit, and we had to go into overtime and won that game with a field goal <laughs> with two minutes. We played ten quarters in four and a half days. We oh, were man. we earned that weekend off after Thanksgiving that week. Wow, man, that's unbelievable. Yeah, I, I feel you on that. That's, that sounds like a a lot going on in that particular week, man. Um, obviously. Uh, Houston was a big part of your life and your career. Uh, I would love to hear your take on what's going on in Houston now. Obviously, you yeah. got another franchise guy in Deshaun Watson. He wants out. You know, the franchise says, hey, we're not going to trade him. Uh, what do you think happens in Houston with uh, Deshaun Watson? You know, it, it's tough to say. I, You know, so far he's standing his ground and there hasn't been a whole lot of communication from the sound of it uh, between the organization and the team and uh, the new coach there and Deshaun. And the thing about that's unique to his situation is there's no trade clause. And mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, he can withhold services. And then um, if a trade does happen, he can veto if he doesn't want to go to that team. Um, so it's a very unique situation, but I think the way it's been going, um, I don't see him playing there anymore. And, you know, I think he'll hold his ground and, you know, everyone wants to talk about a couple of weeks ago when Andre Johnson put the tweet out that he did. And one thing I know about Dre is he doesn't say a whole lot, but when he talks, right. it's impactful and it's meaningful and people listen. And it was wow. the same way back when we were teammates in the locker room. And so that was pretty big for him to step up and have those words for Deshaun and the, the words of encouragement, you know, to be behind him and to stand his ground. So 
Um, but I don't know what's going on behind the scenes in the organization. Right. I'm not there. So it's hard to comment. Um, yeah. And the people that are making the decisions, but man, it's not a good situation when gosh, one of the top five most talented guys in the league um, there's this turmoil surrounding him and his organization. Yeah. Yeah. Just one of those things. I, 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 Wanted to get your opinion on it because obviously you got the ties to Houston, but you've also been that franchise guy, been in that spot. So uh, always good to hear, you know, kind of your, your thoughts on that situation and going forward. So you, you end up playing uh, some more years, obviously. Uh, you go to the Raiders and uh, you go to the Ravens and uh, you end up coming back to Atlanta. Uh, in your wildest memories, did you think about ever you was going to end up coming back to Atlanta to finish your career? You know, I never knew that I'd end up back here to finish my career as a player. I knew I'd probably finish up or I say, should say end my career by living here because yeah. I met my wife here and, you know, we wanted to settle back in the, the Atlanta area because we, we love this city. Uh, but I never knew that I'd come back and finish my career as a player, especially in my last five years. Um, yeah. But uh, very fortunate, you know, I think the thing that helped me was uh, having Kyle Shanahan here because, you know, my time when I was got traded from – Houston to Oakland um, Kyle Shanahan was actually in Cleveland and they were in the mix as well but they I mean, Houston had was in control of that uh, mm -hmm. what they wanted and what they're going to take and accept but I was trying to link back up with Kyle uh, for a while and so when he was here and there was a spot because uh, I know Matt really well too from you know we're both from Pennsylvania and so we're not far from one another and I know him just from being around the league for so many years. So an opportunity to a match back up with Kyle and, um, you know, work behind Matt and, you know, do whatever I can to help his career. And, you know, in any capacity I could, man, was very intriguing. What would you say is probably the two or three things that has led to your longevity? Cause a lot of people say, how can, you know, you play 17 years, how can you play, you know, if a guy gets 10 years, that's a long time, but, to play 17 years in the league, be respected the way you have been, and the fact that you've had guys come in younger, but you've always found a way to be the guy at the end. Uh, what do you contribute that longevity to of you playing in the league for 17 years and at the, the rate that you played it at? Well, I think number one is consistency, you know, is just being able to go out and do your job and uh, be ready to go and make good decisions as a quarterback. You know, that's what we're charged with. Uh, is making good decisions and getting the football where it needs to go and getting our team in the right play, but being consistent and knowing that you can be depended on to go out and do your job. Um, I think that's number one. And number two, um, a lot of football in the NFL is a relationship business. And when you, you know, are a pro and you can treat people and you can handle yourself as a pro, you know, coaches, you know, they all are, it's, it's a fraternity, it's tight knit and they right. move around. You look at, these trees that are out there, these head coaches trees, and they all move around, they branch out, and, you know, you never know where the guys are going to end up and they need someone to come in just like the Kyle Shanahan thing when he was here. And then I met with Dan Quinn and, and at the time, and, you know, signed here in 2016, man, I, I didn't know it last five years, but, you know, I was just dependent, you know, I helped Matt a little bit and I helped young receivers. I helped the defense and you do whatever you can to help the team. And I think that that speaks volumes and that, that can make you last for a long, long time. Yeah. And that's the number one thing that uh, people always say about you and the situation between you and Matt and being around for so long. And people have always talked about how you have always been those extra eyes 
uh, seeing things that Matt may have not have seen. And that contributes to a good QB room. And a lot of people don't understand that the QB room, especially for a starter, is huge. And if he doesn't have a guy around him who he trusts or doesn't mind being around for, because we're around each other for hours, uh, I think it speaks volumes. So uh, kudos to you for being that pro, like you mentioned. Uh, before we let you go, man, we got to be, we wouldn't be remiss if we didn't ask you about this big Super Bowl coming up on Sunday. Uh, obviously, uh, you you played for the Falcons this past year and you guys played the Bucks twice. You guys saw Kansas City, took them down to the wire in Kansas City. It was a really tough, tough game. Uh, kind of give the people a little uh, outlook on what do you think happens in this ball games and what did you guys do against the Bucks or against the Chiefs that helped you guys, you know, be in those games? Well, I think when you're playing both those teams, I think the number one thing you got to do is stay on the football field offensively. You got to stay ahead of the chains and not get behind the sticks on third down and face some wild Todd Bowles blitz packages or <laughs> yeah. Steve Spagnola brings some crazy blitzes as well and different coverages behind those blitzes. And so if you can stay out of those long yardage situations on third down versus both of these defenses, um, you'll be, you'll find more success than you will if you're, if you're in third and 10 a lot. And, right. uh, but that's the thing for me, you know, I, I, I like Kansas city just from the ability to spread you out, run the football RPO game, um, all their weapons, you know, Patrick Mahomes buying time, being able to find Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey down the field. Um, those guys are hard to match up with for four or five seconds if time allows it. Um, but, you know, the, the X factor is going to be these coordinators. I think Todd Bowles with what he tries to scheme up blitz wise and coverage wise, um, you know, to defend their pass game. Um, Cause JPP and Shaq Barrett, they're tough to handle coming no off joke. the edge. And, and when you add Sue inside and, you know, the, the linebackers, when you have Levante David and um, Devin White, you know, those are great players. So um, it's going to be a tough matchup, but I like Kansas City squeaking out a, a high scoring game. Nice, man. You know what? I, I would love to hear uh, kind of what you see from these quarterbacks. Obviously, you've done it at the highest level for uh, 17 years in the National Football League. Patrick Mahomes, people believe, is, you know, the next GOAT. And obviously, Tom Brady in his 10th Super Bowl is unreal. Uh, what about these quarterbacks makes them special that maybe people don't see on the outside? Well, I mean, it's hard to say, you know, ever, I think everyone sees exactly what they are and it's all talked about and everything. So out in the open nowadays, but, you know, I think Tom's longevity and his ability to just strive for greatness every day. I mean, he doesn't accept anything less than, than the best from himself and from his teammates and everyone tries to um, raise their level of play when he's around or you're on his team because, you know, he demands it and expects it. And, um, you know, the way he prepares and the way he knows what's going on at all times, um, you know, is his strength. And then you look at Pat and what he's been able to do since he's uh, taken over there. It's remarkable. Just his ability to, um, you know, extend plays and be able to find throws and throwing lanes and no look throws, but just being able to keep plays alive and, and you know, get his team you know, he, he, they're fast strike offense and the weapons he has at his disposal. It's, it's remarkable. So, um, but just what he's able to do with the football in his hands, you know, we played them in the preseason uh, a few years ago here in Atlanta, and this is the year that he was just taking over. And, you know, he threw one, it was like 85 yards in the air um, to Tyree kill. I mean, it was incredible. And it looked effortless. Yeah. I, I, we were just, Matt and I just looked at each other like, 
what was that? <laughs> what just happened? Was that a, was that a thrower? Did, did that come out of a jugs machine? Right. It was ridiculous. So, um, but you know, man, both guys so super talented in their own right. Football fans, you heard it right there. My man, Matt Schaub is taking the Chiefs. He said he's going to squeak them out. Uh, before we have to go, man, I would love for you to talk about your family. Obviously, that's a big part of who you are. Yeah. I'd be remiss to not let you speak on, you know, your beautiful wife, the kids, activities we got going on. And uh, uh, after that, what's next for Matt Schaub? I know he wants to get into the broadcast world. There's some stuff this year for the Falcons. Uh, but uh, talk about your family, man, and what's next. Yeah, really. I mean, they're, they're the rock stars. They're the ones that make all this happen. And, you know, this whole you know retirement thing, they're the ones that um, have really, you know, made the sacrifices for me to be able to go out and, and do what, you know, I've been able to do the last 17 years. And my wife, Laurie, you know, she's the rock star. She just handles so much with our five kids and, you know, age ranging from two to 10. And so all the things that she has to do on a day-to-day basis when I'm already out of the house at 5 a.m. and not coming home till 6 p.m. And uh, what she's taken on has been just incredible. And then my kids, you know, it's been fun for them to grow up the last like five or six years and start to understand what, what I actually do because <laughs> the longest <laughs> time they didn't quite know and just watch them come to games and cheer and ask questions and be inquisitive of what's going on on the football field. Yeah. That's been super, that's been really neat to be able to see that transpire. But um, for me to just take this time now to, go take him to tennis, take him to swim, take him to gymnastics, take yeah. my son to go to his T-ball games. I mean, that's just <laughs> been so much fun uh, to be able to be a part of that. Hey, man, tell people where they can follow you because uh, if they don't know, uh, my man Shabby has a mean Halloween get up every single year. <laughs> uh, it looks pretty cool, but uh, it does a lot of great things. Shabby, let them know where they can find you on, on Instagram, Twitter, wherever you, you know, where people like to follow you. I mean, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. I'm just kind of getting into the Twitter game. I was on there years ago, had to get off, but I'm just getting back into it. Uh, but I'm on Instagram. I couldn't even tell you what my handles are, man. That's just something. People are going to look for the check mark. Look for the check mark. You'll, you'll, you'll find it. Just search no it. Uh, you know, I, but yeah, you can find me on there. All right, man. Last thing. What's next for you, man? Uh, obviously, you've got a great career. Uh, you're going to have opportunities to do whatever you want. What's next for Matt Shop? You know, I'm working through that. You know, I think I'm just enjoying some downtime right now, but um, I'd love to get in the booth, talk football. I want to be around the game. It's done so much for my life, and um, it's what I love to do and what I love to talk about. So I want to stay connected to it, whether it's in the booth, talking it on TV or on the radio or, you know, even even getting into a team, an organization, whether it's upstairs in a front office type role or scouting personnel or even coaching. I'm not taking coaching off the table. I know what that time commitment's like, but at the same time, you know, to be able to pay it back to, to young guys coming in league and help um, them transition, man, that'd be, that'd be something very rewarding. Awesome, man. Well, Shabby, man, I, I just want to tell you, uh, you've been the same guy since 06 that I met you and a uh, real stand-up guy. I, I am truly blessed that you came on today and, kind of pulled your heart out to us a little bit, told some of the tough things that happened in your life, but also how you overcame them and hear that your beautiful family is doing great and doing well and everybody's safe. So, man, from the uh, bottom of my heart, man, I appreciate you. I love you, man. Always been a, a good friend to me. And uh, I know the Triple Threat family will be glad that you uh, got a chance to come on, man. No, thanks for having me. Love you too, man. Appreciate it. And uh, we need to get out on the golf course here soon once this weather warms up a little bit. No doubt. I'm with you. I'm with you. All right, man. Uh, we, appreciate, 
Appreciate Matt Shop joining us here on the Triple Threat Podcast, dropping gems all day long. We appreciate you, Shabby. And uh, we'll see you next time here on the Triple Threat Podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.